KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org. Good morning. I'm Annika Colbert. It's Tuesday, February 2nd. County officials are charging forward with more COVID-19 vaccination sites. We'll have that story next, but first, let's do the headlines. San Diego County Public Health officials reported more than 1,000 new COVID-19 infections on Monday and no additional deaths. That's the lowest daily case total in more than a month. And while there were more than 300 new hospitalizations, the overall rate continues to decline. San Diego Councilwoman Monica Montgomery has been appointed to the state task force exploring the idea of reparations for black people in California. The appointment was made on Monday by California Senate President Pro Tem Tony Atkins. Governor Gavin Newsom signed a bill into law that mandated the creation of a nine-person task force in October of last year. San Diego's flu season so far has been very different than flu seasons of the past. We're about halfway through the season right now, and there's more than 600 confirmed flu cases and no deaths. That's compared to the same time last year where there were 10,000 flu cases and 32 deaths. Doctors say the same measures that stop coronavirus from spreading also prevent the flu from spreading. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. lack of supply of vaccines has been an ongoing issue in California and here in San Diego. KPBS health reporter Taryn Mento tells us about how local care providers are keeping track of vaccinations. The long lines at Peco Park may be frustrating, but a steady stream of idle arms makes for a higher burn rate. That's the window between receiving and administering COVID-19 vaccine doses. UCSD Health CEO Patty Mason says the state wants vaccinators to keep it short. That we're able to administer the vaccine, you know, within um, a week's time from, you know, getting an allocation to in, in arms. The key to proving that is the San Diego Immunization Registry. County officials previously told KPBS it was mostly used to track childhood vaccinations, but now it's mandated for all COVID-19 shots. Larger providers have electronic health records to automatically report immunizations to the registry, but smaller providers may need to get up to speed. UCSD's Mason says entering information quickly is crucial. It is the visibility 
responsibility that the state has for for what we've talked about the burn rate and the and the allocation and what's in freezers so it absolutely is um very important. San Diego County set a goal to fully vaccinate 1.8 million residents by July. So far, the county says just over 53,500 San Diegans received both doses of a COVID-19 vaccine. But it notes data may be missing because of reporting delays. The county also says doses administered by the military or Veterans Administration in San Diego may not be included in its tally. Otherwise, about 16,000 people a day are receiving a COVID-19 vaccine from a San Diego County vaccination site. But that's below the county's daily goal, and that's largely due to supply challenges. Now we go back to KPBS health reporter Taryn Mento again. She spoke with public health officer Dr. Wilma Wooten and Health and Human Services Agency Director Nick Maschione about the vaccine rollout. Here's part of that interview. You've said we need to be doing at least 22,800 and change vaccinations a day from now through the end of June to reach a goal of vaccinating 70 percent of San Diegans. How was that going so far? You know, that was those were goals, targets for us by early February. So we're, you know, quite pleased of having about 12 um, county pods, points of uh, dispensing um, throughout in the health equity areas, very importantly. Four super stations now, uh, a fifth one yet to come uh, probably in another week or so. And the, the ramp up has been great in both the infrastructure, locations. We're dependent on vaccine, as you know, and uh, that is a rate limiting step for us to get to it. But I, I would say the ability to, and the infrastructure we've created is to far surpass the 22,000. And it's really upon getting that vaccine to reach more magnitude of 25 to 30,000 vaccinations a day. Are we on track to hit 22,800 plus today? Uh, No, because we don't have enough vaccine today. Exactly how many doses do you receive each week and how fast are you turning them around? Well, I think the first thing is we may not get the entire order that's requested. And then how many are administered and what we are finding, we actually met with all of the providers last Monday. We found that uh, at least one entity was reporting directly to the state's registry and not our registry. So we are trying to reconcile that. Also, some providers might be holding vaccine back for the second dose. So we're trying to reconcile that. So those are the factors that we are trying to reconcile. We use 100% of our, our vaccine for the week. Uh, this is our county pods. Um, our other large systems are very high in their percentage as well. Um, And that's just the sense of urgency, right? Getting that vaccine and then having it administered in the course of the week. Mindful that we get the vaccine, say, you know, on a Monday, and that's your supply you have for the week until the next shipment in. So it's making sure you've planned that out and and you're moving that quickly as possible. But we do know we're not at the 22,500 number quite yet, and that's because of the vaccine. Have we improved on our burn rate or has it always been 100 percent? Because the state is supposed to be rewarding that. That's that's what we keep telling people. The quicker we do it, then the state will give us more. Has that actually happened yet? It's not that the quicker we will do it, the state will give us more. But if we're not spending uh, at least 60 percent of what is supposed to be on hand, uh, the state will consider taking vaccine away. So we've met with all of our providers Uh, We're making uh, calls to the providers to find out where the discrepancy is. So we're working through that. And a lot of it is data. Uh, Again, a lot of it is uh, related to are people holding vaccine back for the second dose. 
And so we have worked with all of the providers to make them understand what the state's guidance is about distribution and utilization of vaccine so that we don't have to be included in that category of individuals where vaccine uh, will be taken away. But we have, providers have been identified where they over-ordered, for instance, and they gave it back to us. And that's been useful in helping us plan. Yeah, I, I know that the state's um, uh, new partnership with Blue Shield, they'll be managing vaccine. Um, you know, they are a big insurer uh, who look at utilization management. That's one of their strengths. And so I think there's going to be greater scrutiny, to your point, Taryn, about vaccine going to um, jurisdictions and counties and for use. Um, and I think that's where there's a strength for us in San Diego. That was part of KPBS health reporter Taryn Mento's interview with Dr. Wilma Wooten and Nick Mascione. We'll bring you more of this conversation later this week. While the state and county are still working out the next phase of COVID-19 vaccinations, homeless service providers in San Diego are making their own plans. KPBS's Max Rivlin-Nadler reports. Getting an appointment for a vaccine is already tricky, and that's if you have access to a phone or computer. Dr. Jeffrey Norris, the chief medical officer at Father Joe's Villages, one of San Diego's leading homeless service providers, says it'll be even harder for the homeless. For folks who, for whatever reason, have trouble using the internet, have a lot of chaos in their lives, for example, they're experiencing homelessness, signing up for and getting to an appointment for a vaccine is certainly a a challenging endeavor. His organization is already laying the groundwork for mass vaccination events to vaccinate people in its shelters downtown and reaching out to those currently living on the street. But it's up to the state to decide when to begin offering vaccinations to the homeless. It recently scrapped a plan to prioritize them in the next phase, a decision Norris disagrees with. That story from KPBS's Max Rivlin-Nadler. New data from San Diego County shows COVID-19 regulations during lockdown did help slow the spread of the virus. KPBS reporter Jacob Ayer says limiting local travel is why it worked. Public health data shows COVID-19 outbreaks at restaurants and retail spaces fell drastically during the most recent stay-at-home order. UC San Diego professor of epidemiology Andrea LaCroix says our lack of community movement helped decrease the outbreaks. According to the state data, they have they determined that the mobility of people, the movement of people, um, showed 40% less movement in the community in all places. It's agnostic to which places. Over the course of the pandemic, San Diego County has identified more than 1,100 community-setting outbreaks. Those outbreaks led to just 3% of the county's total cases. That was KPBS's Jacob Ayer. A bill proposed in Sacramento will allow candidates without a law enforcement background to run for county sheriff. Cap Radio's Scott Rod reports. Currently, candidates for sheriff must have law enforcement experience or certification. Democratic Senator Scott Weiner of San Francisco says he wants to change that. They're often the most or one of the most powerful elected officials in the county, and almost no one can challenge them for re-election. And that's why there's so little diversity among our sheriffs. He notes the current eligibility requirements were established in the late 1980s. The bill was developed in partnership with the California Immigrant Policy Center. 
Orville Thomas is Director of Government Affairs at the center. He says the changes would invite more conversations about topics like police funding and mental health response. This would offer an opportunity for other voices in the community to run for sheriff and to open up a larger dialogue so that voters can decide what the role of sheriff should be in their community and who should play that role. Thomas says the center is also concerned about recent sheriff interactions with federal immigration services, which can lead to deportations. The State Sheriff's Association has not taken a position on the bill, but Legislative Director Corey Salzillo raised concerns about nixing the candidate requirements. It's not clear how erasing those standards uh, would create more accountability for the office of the sheriff. He says policing requires, quote, very technical skills and that candidates without a law enforcement background may lack the knowledge to run a sheriff's department. The legislature last year passed a law that allows counties to install an inspector general or review board to oversee sheriff departments. And that was Cap Radio's Scott Rod reporting. In another proposal, California lawmakers are considering an online portal where sexual assault survivors can track the status of evidence related to their case. Cap Radio's Nicole Nixon reports. State Senator Connie Leva is determined to cut down on a backlog of untested rape kits. That's why she's running a bill that would track a kit's journey from the hospital to the crime lab. This bill will empower survivors and help them to regain a sense of control. Leva says requiring law enforcement to upload data to a state-run website would compel them to test their kits more quickly. Joanne Archambeau with End Violence Against Women International says she supports the legislation, but she says the status of a rape kit is just one part of an assault case. It doesn't tell them anything about how that is going to impact the investigation or what's being done with the investigation. She says victims should also be kept in the loop about other DNA evidence that may have been collected from clothing or bedding. And that was Cap Radio's Nicole Nixon. Coming up, a group of House Democrats have introduced resolutions this week to censure or remove newly elected representative from Georgia, Marjorie Taylor Greene. To me, the most egregious are her calling for the execution of President Obama, of Speaker Pelosi, of Secretary Clinton. We'll have that story next, just after the break. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. There's 
there's been tension in the House of Representatives after the January 6th insurrection. Some in Congress have refused to comply with new metal detectors installed to search for concealed weapons. But right now, attention is focused on the newly elected representative from Georgia, Marjorie Taylor Greene. She's a QAnon believer and has shown support on social media for physical violence against other politicians. Now, some in Congress want to censure her. A censure resolution was co-sponsored by San Diego Congresswoman Sarah Jacobs, who spoke with KPBS Midday Edition host Maureen Kavanaugh. Can you tell us about the censure resolution you've submitted against Congresswoman Green? What would it do? So I uh, submitted this resolution with my colleague, Congresswoman Nakima Williams of Georgia, uh, and it would formally censure uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene and call for her to resign. Censure is a, a ability that Congress has to uh, make sure that we are holding our own members accountable. It's the, one of the highest levels of that that we can do, and it's only been done against a number of members uh, throughout the history of Congress. Does it have any practical result if it were to be voted, uh, if it were to be approved? So the censure resolution is something that goes into the history books uh, forevermore. She is a censured member of Congress. We would need additional resolutions to strip her of committee assignments or to expel her. And why did you take that step as one of your very first acts in Congress? As someone who's worked in conflict settings and political violence around the world, I know how important it is to hold accountable people who are calling for violence. Uh, We saw what can happen when we don't on January 6th, and we've seen throughout history. And so I felt like it was incredibly important that we set down this marker of censure, uh, that this is beyond the realm of normal political disagreements, and this is behavior that is frankly unacceptable. And what are the acts you feel warrant a vote of censure against Marjorie Taylor Greene? To me, the most egregious are her calling for the execution of President Obama, of Speaker Pelosi, of Secretary Clinton, uh, when she liked, retweeted, and even herself said things that promoted violence against those uh, elected leaders. To me, that is the most egregious uh, of her activities, although there are a number of things I think uh, that she has done that are beyond the pale. Now, Congresswoman Cori Bush, a Democrat from Missouri, has just moved her office away from Green. She says it's for her team's safety. Do you think Congresswoman Green poses a physical threat to her colleagues? You know, it's it's really hard to say. She clearly does in the sense that she refuses to wear a mask. I have been in many uh, spaces with her where she refuses to put her mask on, even when we have elderly or immunocompromised fellow colleagues who are in the room with us. And it's clear that she believes in violence as a way to resolve her political disagreements. I think we here in California know what can happen when you have members of a group like this, like we saw in San Francisco with Harvey Milk, who was murdered by a fellow supervisor. And so I think while I don't feel like there's an imminent threat to my life right now from her, it's clear that she does not care about the lives of her colleagues, shown by her in her unwillingness to wear a mask, her unwillingness to go through the metal detectors. And I think it's a perfectly acceptable thing for Congresswoman Bush to decide that it's that she wants to move her office. What is the atmosphere like in Congress now? Is it tense? 
There's certainly some tension, uh, and obviously there's still a lot of security up and around the facility. Although I will say I was at the inauguration and I was sitting with a bipartisan group of members, and it was clear that a lot of us are really ready to turn the page and to get back to the work of the American people. I believe we can't do that until we hold people accountable who incited, encouraged, or committed acts of violence. Um, but there is actually a lot more, excuse me, a lot more camaraderie and friendship among the members than you would think. And honestly, one of the things that was most exciting after the attack happened, we really saw our other colleagues check in on each other, look after each other, really pull together in a way that was really heartening to me. Well, in that spirit of bipartisanship, do you expect to get any Republican support for the effort to censure Green? I know there are a number of Republican members who don't agree with her and think that she gives a bad name to their party. And I'm hopeful that when it comes time to it, they will step up and make those positions known and uh, do the right thing. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy is expected to have a meeting with Marjorie Taylor Greene this week to see if she should be reprimanded in any way. Do you expect anything to come out of that meeting? I'm hopeful that he will take her off of her committees and will reprimand her. Um, But I got to say, I don't have a lot of faith in uh, Congressman McCarthy at the moment. When will your censure resolution be up for a vote? Uh, We're not sure. We're still uh, learning the calendar for the upcoming votes. It's uh, introduced today and will likely come up for a vote sometime soon. And would it take a simple majority to pass? That's right. Censure only requires a simple majority to pass. Uh, To expel Congresswoman Green would require a two-thirds majority. And so we feel like there is a really good chance that we can get this censure passed and have that formally on the record. San Diego Congresswoman Sarah Jacobs is sponsoring a move to censure Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene. Censure requires a simple majority to pass. Expulsion requires a two-thirds majority. And that's it for the podcast today. Be sure to catch KPBS Midday Edition at noon on KPBS Radio or check out the Midday Edition podcast. You can also watch KPBS Evening Edition at 5 o'clock on KPBS Television. And as always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com.